well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad that you're with us today. On the program, we're going to talk with uh, John Stokes, editor at The Prepared, uh, also a part of Open Source Defense. And, you know, i got to say, I wish the topic were a better one, but um, there has been, as you might have noticed, a lot of unrest taking place around the country these days, and it does seem like things are just edging in the wrong direction. Uh, I, I hope uh, and I pray and I keep my fingers crossed that uh, uh, things are, are going to sort of ease up and maybe we will get to a, a slightly more peaceful place where we can uh, extend a hand towards one another instead of raising a fist. Uh, it, we did see, I think, a, a little bit calmer of a night in Kenosha, Wisconsin on uh, Wednesday. Thankfully, not entirely peaceful, not entirely calm, but uh, a little bit uh, more calm. Uh, President Trump uh, has announced that, you know, uh, sending federal uh, authorities into Kenosha. Uh, uh, Governor uh, Evers there in Wisconsin, uh, apparently now going to send more than a thousand National Guardsmen. They, I didn't see a huge presence there last night based on the uh, streams that I was watching. Uh, but we also have seen Democrats over the past 24 hours or so come to the conclusion that, uh, oh, you know, these riots are bad. We should probably speak up and say something and say you got to stop. Now, whether or not that actually leads to real action or just lip service, I think very much remains to be seen. I am of the opinion that a lot of this talk from uh, Democratic politicians is because they are now seeing the poll numbers. They know that most Americans don't like what they're seeing. They don't like this. They don't uh, like seeing uh, businesses torched. They don't get thrilled with the idea of seeing uh, guys standing guard over businesses with AR-15s because they don't, even if they, even if they don't have a problem with it, they don't like it because they don't like that things have gotten to this point where that's happening. Most people, I think, are craving some sort of normalcy uh, as opposed to the uh, craziness that 2020 just continues to deliver day in and day out. So. I wanted to talk to my friend John Stokes about this. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm warning you right now. This is a good conversation. This is a a, a deep conversation. We kind of get into the weeds a little bit. It's a, a pretty lengthy conversation. It is not what I would call an uplifting and positive conversation. Uh, because both John and I are, are sincerely concerned about the direction that we're heading in as a nation. And if you try to separate, and it's so hard to do these days, but if you try to remove yourself from whatever tribe you're a part of, if it's the right, if it's the left, whatever, and you just try to look at these, uh, what's going on as the perspective of an American, I think there are lots of reasons to be concerned. And uh, unfortunately, not a lot of reasons to be optimistic about what our fellow Americans, all of our fellow Americans, are, are doing right now to try to ensure that um, we are able to bring some peace and calm to some of the streets of America. Anyway, that's the setup. Like I said, I'm just letting you know, normally I'm a cheerful, optimistic guy, but um, yeah, today I'm a little cynical and uh, maybe even maybe even just pragmatic and realistic if you want to uh, go that route. But um, regardless, I do hope that you'll take a look and a listen. To my conversation with John Stokes from Open Source Defense and The Prepared. Hey, John, thanks so much for coming on the program, sir. It's good talking with you today. Always a pleasure. Uh, yeah, the world has gotten uh, even crazier since the last time we spoke, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, I was uh, really taken by a, a tweet that you had shared last night talking about 
uh, contagion uh, and, and the the attitudes on both the right and the left, at least in some circles of the right and the left, where uh, basically, you know, you've got some folks on, on both sides of the aisle that have decided the time for talking uh, is over. And you are really concerned. I think a lot of uh, people who are paying attention are genuinely concerned that this is going to uh, lead to a, a tipping point at some point in the not too distant future. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm I'm just trying to to parse this out in my own mind. You know what I what what I think is I kind of break it up into a few different camps. Um, one camp is obviously, and this is left and right. You've got the accelerationists. You've got the guys that are like that are ready to do a thing and. You know, in order to, I mean, you've been around in the firearm world. In order to pull the trigger, uh, you got to get over a line. And there's a lot of training, uh, military training, that brings people up to that line and gets them over it because that's not a normal human thing to be able to do. And so I think you've got a lot of these accelerationists running around and they're armed now and they're openly armed and they've never been over that line, right? And so they've never been over that line and they're just sort of like, daring somebody to like you know they're they're trying to nerve up to doing something worse so you got that crew then you got of course you know the guys that have been over that line in service of the country and and they're on different different parts of this thing and they're kind of you know watching and waiting and they've seen what's on the other side of that line and they don't want to they don't want to go back over it especially not at home you know Mm-hmm. And so, so I, there, I think those guys are obviously going to be very reticent, uh, to step in and to get involved. And then you got guys like me, probably like yourself, who we just don't want to watch our stuff burn. You know, like we have, um, communities that we care about. We have houses, we have families, and we're just concerned about danger, about, you know, fiery chaos breaking out in our backyard. So there's all these different elements in the mix and there's different thresholds for different groups and different individuals. And you just kind of track it and wonder when do these things kind of aggregate and move into like a new kind of phase? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting to me because we've seen, uh, you know, we're not seeing a hundred Kenoshas, right? We're seeing Kenosha for three or four days. And then like last night, things were a little bit calmer in Kenosha, but all of a sudden, boom, it flares up again in Minneapolis uh, after the uh, the individual who was the homicide suspect ended up shooting himself. But, uh, you know, we see these snippets of video and all of a sudden the, the first impulse is, oh my gosh, the police killed this guy. The looting starts, the rioting starts. Uh, you know, one night it might be that, that Portland's the hotspot. One night at Chicago, that's the hotspot. But it's you know I'm I'm like you I'm trying to get a handle on all of this because I don't think that we've got you know 10 million people on either side that are, uh, are ready to go to war with each other, but I'm not sure that you need 10 million people on either side no, to go to war with no. each other before things can get really bad. Yeah, that's 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 how this always goes. I mean, I you know in my in my my study of these things, there's always it's always these fractions you know of and and factions of people. It's always these small groups. And they can create a lot of chaos. And usually uh, that chaos is not often where you're living directly. I mean, I, I wrote about this in an article for theprepared.com where I just said, here's this uh, Syria documentary from Vice where in this one city, everybody's at the beach and they're going to the mall. In this other city, it's a bombed out mess. You know, So these, these contagion effects work that way. It, it, right now we're seeing it in the pandemic. 
one day Houston is a hot spot. The next day, Arizona is a hot spot. You know, it comes, it goes up, it comes down. And this is kind of how contagions work. You get these, this clustering, um, what I've called con- clustering of like trauma, you know, you get this clustering and it moves around. And the people in Kenosha, I mean, I've driven through Kenosha so many times. It's, a, it's, it's outlet malls and stuff, you know, it's like the people that were there, they were in Kenosha. They were just in a safe, you know, normal place up until the day that they weren't. And so you never know. And of course, me, I'm in, I'm in Georgetown, Texas, right north of Austin. People are like, it's fairly safe there, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's safe here, but we've got the two ingredients that you need to make something really bad happen. Police and cell phone cameras. You know, we've got those two things here in Georgetown. You get the wrong cops in the wrong incident with the wrong angle of cell phone footage, and you may have a conflagration. So this kind of thing could spread anywhere. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, you hit on something uh, that, that's really key. I was thinking about this last night. I mean, there's a part of me that feels the same way about social media and cell phone cameras uh, that, that Shannon Watts probably feels about AR-15s. I don't want to ban mm-hmm. them. I don't think that's the way to go. I'm not, you know, in favor of smartphone control. I'm in favor of self-control. Uh, and, and this is one of the things that really kind of worries me is that we don't have, and I, you kind of alluded to this last night, we don't have a lot of voices out there that are, you know, urging people to think critically, to take a step back, to not immediately react with violence when they see something uh, on their uh, uh, smartphones. Um, instead, you know, the the impetus and, and really I think the encouragement from social media at large is, Act on your impulses. Don't wait for for information to come out. Uh, what you see is is what is real, and you should uh, react as quickly and as strongly as possible to that. And again, I think that's sort of a recipe for disaster. This has happened in other countries with social media. I mean, I am not an anti tech person. I'm actually kind of pro tech, <laughs> um, and have been. You know, I've made my career in tech and tech journalism. But these technologies have real downsides that, and they're destabilizing. We have to grapple with them. I mean, I know, I, I knew, I worked with people, uh, who had been through the Arab Spring and like the uprising and Bob Rain and some of these places. And they're like, yeah, this stuff started on Facebook. You know, I know people who have lived through political violence that took over their country that spread through Facebook. And, and so this is a real, this is a real thing that happens and we kind of don't yet have the tools to address it. And, you know, narratives get formed and crystallized really quickly. So like this kid that, that, that shot people in Kenosha, you've immediately got this, this dualistic narrative of on the one, he's a, he's a patriot and a hero who acted in self-defense. And two, he's a Nazi and, you know, a Klansman and all this other stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and if you, if you poke your head up out of the foxhole and say, well, you know, wait a minute, let's, let's break this down. Um, you know, should he have been there? Yes or no. Um, when he acted, you know, what were the forces? You, you, you just, you're just going to get shot at if you poke your head up out of that foxhole. And so the system promotes this kind of extremism. But, you know, I see this, like, I was just watching a clip from, from Trevor Noah, uh, that's, that's going around on my feed. And, you know, a lot of people that I like are sharing this. And, you know, he's, he's kind of like railing against, um, the uh the armed protesters the boogaloo boys stuff like this and saying obviously you went there with a gun to shoot at people that's the reason why you went you don't just go out with a gun to guard property you don't care about the property you went to shoot at people so that's trevor noah's frame right and 
you know, if you follow you follow me on Twitter, and so you know that I have I have been opposed to this boogaloo boy behavior and the protesting with with guns and kitten up and march and stuff like that. I am I am not a fan of that. Um, but what I want to hear from somebody like Trevor is is um, there were guys with AR-15s on the left on the first night of those Kenosha riots. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't have anything to say about them. Now I understand that nobody on the left that I that I know of that none of those people that I saw facing off against the Bearcat with AR slog uh, have shot anybody yet. But you know, the time to look at my team and say, you know, okay, you guys are kitted up. I know that you think you're on my side. You've got these ARs slung right in the front. Um, you know, the time to criticize that is now before it pops off. And and that's what I really want to hear from a guy like Trevor Noah. I don't just want to hear him condemn the Boogaloo Boys. There are plenty of videos of totally non-Boogaloo Boy BLM types with long guns. And sure. Let, let's let's hear what your thoughts are on that. Let's hear what your thoughts are on why they got out there, why they're doing that, why they're marching that way. Where are the big think pieces and thumb suckers? Man on the street interviews with the guy that's 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 on you know the protester side that's not in a Hawaiian shirt, um, you know maybe in black block attire that is running around tooled up. I mean, I saw a group of these guys the other night getting ready to assault the pro the the, the, the courthouse in Kenosha, or so they said. You know, where are the interviews with them? Where why who where are the big Daily Beast think pieces? You know, about what goes on in the head of somebody. No, man, they're only going to focus on the other team. But you got to, you got to think about your own guys. You got to think about your own camp. Take care of your own house. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a, another huge issue because you're right. I mean, I think, you know, again, speaking broadly, you've got the right pointing fingers at the left. You got the left pointing fingers back at the right. Uh, both pointing out, you know, bad behavior on the other person's side or the other tribe's side. But, uh, neither one really wanted to get introspective and said, all right, what are we doing, uh, in our own house here? I mean, you can go back to Seattle, uh, and the, you know, establishment of the Chaz or Chopper or whatever they ended up calling it. Um, you know, there were shootings there uh, on the part of, you know, the the quote unquote chop security that were ignored completely uh, by people like Trevor Noah. Uh, and as you say, the um, the the impulse to to frame this as, well, this guy was a patriot. He did what he had to do versus this guy was a white supremacist. You know, most of us don't know all of the facts here. I would imagine that even the police who are investigating don't know all of the facts in this case. We've seen a couple of clips of video. The video that the videos that I've seen, in fact, the New York Times did actually a really good job. I think this might be the first time I've ever praised the New York Times on this program, but uh, their visual journalists did a very good job of assembling, you know, all of these uh, different camera angles and as much footage as they could of uh, not just the seconds where the shots were fired there in Kenosha the other night, but in the minutes and the hours ahead of time. But even then, we have an incomplete picture, right? I mean, the the video that I've seen basically starts with this seventeen uh, year old running into the frame, somebody chasing him, somebody fires a handgun into the air, somebody else throws a flaming bag or something at this uh, 17-year-old, and then he turns and he fires shots. Okay, well, looking at that video clip, I mean, that kind of looks like self-defense to me, but I don't know what happened before the camera picked up him coming into frame, right? And and, and I, I think it's so easy for all of us to just kind of forget that that something led up to that moment and we don't have all of the answers yet and you're right again we assume these tribal positions 
uh, and we, you know, you know, put our feet down and we uh, lock in and, and that's where we stand, regardless of what new evidence comes out. I think we even could make the same case when it comes to the uh, uh, the shooting of uh, Jacob Blake uh, himself. There was, you know, again, some additional details that are coming out. I'm not saying it justifies the shooting, but certainly provides more context to what happened. Um, mm-hmm. The question I think is how many of us, how many of us even care at this point, John, about that additional no. context, or are we just satisfied letting the information kind of wash over us as incomplete as it might be, and you know drawing these conclusions based on incomplete evidence? Yeah, you know, I I um I have this feeling about this kind of conversation we're having now, like I had back in February when I wrote the big Wired article saying that we should all figure out vote by mail and make that work. Uh, because we're going to have a pandemic over here. And so we need options. And I knew when I published that, nobody was going to listen. And Matt Stoller even tried to run it up to Pelosi and, and got laughed at, you know. So, so the article was circulated, uh, in the circles that could have done something. And people were like, yeah, this is not a priority for us. We're focused on the primaries. Nobody cares about this, the Wuhan virus. It's random. It's over there. It's not a problem. Um, you know, so I sort of sounded the alarm like out of civic duty. And that's kind of how I feel about these. Um, well, you know, I'm going to condemn these people and say this is bad and all this. It's like there's an escalation spiral happening, man. You know, there are forces that are out of my control. They're out of our control. I don't have a big enough platform to stop this. Uh, the people that do have a big enough platform to maybe ratchet it down or help ratchet it down are not. They're, they're AWOL, you know, on, in both parties, in my opinion. Um, nobody's helping the situation mm-hmm. and, you know, you can't, I mean, I think even Biden is politically constrained to just come out and full blown condemn, you know, uh, the protest and the way that they've unfolded and start telling people to go home. So, so it's, it's just hard to look for where are the brakes. So like, I'm looking around for the brakes on this train and I'm not seeing them. And that's what bothers me about the contagion effect. Like I see a contagion happening and I don't see those countermeasures that are going to cool it back down. Um, So so let's talk about maybe a couple of countermeasures. Uh, Governor Evers said on Wednesday, uh, talked with President Trump, said, yep, you know, we're going to put more National Guard in. I guess federal law enforcement's uh, coming in. Um, Is that, uh, in your opinion, likely to uh, make things better if you've got, you know, uh, sort of law enforcement flooding the zone? Uh, or is that likely to make things worse? I I suspect it's likely to make things worse. I mean, I think that at this point, there are enough people who uh, are sort of the, um, the more extreme actors who feel like they're running an insurgency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, what do you do about those guys? Like, <clears throat> and those th- those guys aren't going to go away either uh, if in, in a Biden Harris administration. Oh, no. Um, you know, the, the, the whole point of this Biden and Harris stuff is to restore the status quo, which is exactly what the insurgents are kind of railing against. Like it's gone beyond um, a particular president and it's about the system at this point. So any president, any executive authority that tries to use the, the state security apparatus to reassert order and reassert a status quo is going to inflame the situation. So, so I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't know where the brakes are. I just don't know where the brakes are. It's almost like you need a, 
a Martin Luther King figure or some kind of big, like true nonviolent movement. Um, but you know, the other thing I think that really needs to be said here, and I, and I actually think this is, this is absent from far too much of the discussion. The pandemic has made this country a pressure cooker. The lockdowns have driven us all insane. We would not be seeing the stuff that we are seeing right now to the degree that we're seeing it if it would not have been for COVID-19. So you know, a lot of blame on both sides, a lot of, a lot of bad actors, but people are being driven out of their minds right now by external forces, by kind of forcing the error. And so that is a, that's a whole other factor that is huge. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and it's interesting. I've been, I've been doing a lot of reading about the 1930s uh, and sort of the rise of uh, the American communist movement and then the, the rise of the homegrown fascist movement uh, in the United States. And I think that, too, was exacerbated by economic pressures, um, which, which, by the way, I mean, uh, you know, is, is going hand in hand with uh, the pandemic and the lockdowns. You know, there are a lot of Americans who have lost their jobs or they're, you know, eking by maybe part time. Maybe they're starting to go back to work. But um, coupled just with that fact of, you know, people have been locked in their homes. They're not able to do the, the normal socialization that they've been doing. There's a lot of mental stress in that regard. There's also the economic uh, stressors that we're facing, too. And this is a sort of perfect storm, uh, you know, which is maybe a bad analogy as we've got a hurricane, you know, roaring ashore in Louisiana into Arkansas right now. But, uh, you know, this is, I think, a time where certainly uh, a time unlike any that, you know, you and I have ever lived through before. Um, and, you know, we are going through a nationwide stress test right now. I think it's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. On, and on multiple levels, political, economic, um, the wildfires, the you know, power outages associated with the wildfires, the storm, the riots, like it's all just kind of coming together. And, and we haven't even hit real food scarcity and food security yet, which may come in fall and, and in the winter and in the turn of the year uh, because of the, all the, the capacity destruction, all the milk that was dumped all the, the hogs that were cold and all that stuff because of the restaurant, you know, break down the restaurant supply chain. Uh, we interviewed people at the prepared that told us that those animals and those products were intended for market first of 2021. And so there's still a pipeline that we're eating our way through and, and, and we're going to hit whatever, whatever shortage is going to pop out the other end next year. So we've not even gotten into food security yet. You can still go and get pretty much any amount of protein uh, that you want, although there is some price inflation, which is kind of scary. So yeah, there's, absolutely. There's so many, yeah, there's so many of these things going on, and it's just um, it, it's it's just hard for me, also as an American, to really because you know I I I gotta admit I I don't I wasn't happy with the status quo. You know I don't want the status quo, the pre-Trump status quo back. Um, in, in every respect, any more than the BLM protesters do. I mean, all of us, I think, were unhappy with one degree or the other. I mean, think about the fact that, that, um, what the hurricane that just, just washed ashore in Louisiana and my, you know, hit my hometown of Lake Charles. Uh, there are people there. I think the median income there is 22,000 a year. And there are people there that just could not afford to evacuate. And they couldn't afford a hotel. Their families had, you know, weren't able to take them because of COVID-19. So because that, that area, Lake Charles, is a COVID hotspot, major COVID hotspot right now. So, you know, they can't necessarily go and, and stay with friends and relatives in other places. They can barely afford gas right now because they've been out of work from the pandemic. Their unemployment insurance has run out. Um, 
you know, and so these are Americans, working Americans, people that had jobs that are not, they're, they're, they're in a bind. They've been in, they're in bad shape. They've been in bad shape for a while and now they're really in bad shape. And this is a sort of a, a failure that one can imagine happening to some degree or the other on any number of, you know, even on a, you know, under a Biden-Harris administration, you know. So so this is a kind of, we, we do have systemic problems, systemic failures um, of leaving people behind. And, and you know, even just like the, the hardest work and salt of the earth people are having, you know, whatever whatever stereotypes you have about this and that, everybody's having problems. Everybody's struggling. And so, and, and it has, has been for a long time. And so I don't, I, I am not a friend of the, of the pre-Trump status quo myself, you know? And so it's, it makes it hard to kind of, um, like, like I said, to, to sort out what's going on, to think, where do I fit into this? Um, and, and if it comes to it, you know, who do I throw in with? Yeah. Uh, have you made any conclusions or are you just going to hunker down? There at the I'm, uh, the compound, <laughs> I'm, I'm hunkered down at the compound, man. You know, I'm I'm like, and again, this is in my study of these kinds of social splinterings. Um, it is typically the case that most people look around at their options are like, man, I don't really like any of these guys. I don't fit in with any of these crews. I don't want any of this, you know. But then you're you're kind of you're kind of forced to, you know, to pick out of, out of basic safety, you know, but. It's like everybody is, like I said, making that calculation. What am I going to do if this comes to my doorstep? You know, what am I going to, what, where is my line that I'm going to draw um, of safety for myself, my family, my community? You know, everybody's got to make that calculation. Everybody's having to make that calculation right now. And that's, I think, dangerous that people are making that calculation because we pay taxes so that this stuff doesn't happen. I pay taxes. Because and there are supposed to be people that are preventing my business from burning down. Right. People that prevent my neighborhood from going up in flames. You know, we're supposed to have we, we got people for that, and so as, as sort of a basic fact of civilization. Except now we don't. Yeah, and you know, listen, we, you and I could probably talk about this for another hour and a half, and uh, and still only scratch the surface here because I, I think you're right. I think that is a, a a a genuine frustration and a very legitimate frustration. That, you know, are, are bringing some of these, you know, uh, uh, armed folks out to protect businesses, uh, either those that they own or in some cases those that they don't, those that they have no connection to. But they're still seeing what's going on and they're thinking, as you say, this is bullshit. Uh, mm-hmm. Why is this happening? But then again, on the other side, and I, 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 I'm still enough of an American first that I, I try to see things. I try to at least consider the other side's perspective, uh, you know. They're seeing these uh, shootings uh, uh, and, you know, the uh, deaths at the hands of police. And they're saying, hey, this is bullshit, too. Um, So, you know, again, as you say, we get back to that point of, okay, to me, it comes down to, look, do you want to burn it down uh, and try to build on the ashes, which typically doesn't work well, uh, you know, throughout human history. There aren't a lot of examples where, uh, you know, it's worked out better after you've burned things down to the uh, foundation. Um, Or do you want to? However difficult it is, figure out a way to actually move forward. And and as you say, I think we need those voices out there um, who are you know at least willing to extend a hand rather than a fist. Um, I don't know if that happens after the election. I certainly don't see it happening before the election. And I 
do kind of worry about, you know, how, how far down this road we go between now and November. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. I mean, I look at, I look at so many of these things, like take the, you know, I, I look at, and I, I know this is a hot button issue in two way communities, but when I look at uh, police in Bearcats, you know, kitted out like, like they're in Fallujah, that I don't like that. That, that I'm not comfortable with that. You know, I'm more of like the Andy Griffith Mayberry, you know, kind of fantasy dude. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm foggy like that, man. And so I'm not as, I'm not as comfortable with that vision of American order and American power. Um, and then when I look at old people getting harassed in restaurants and beat with fire extinguishers and stuff, I ain't going to have that either, you know? Right. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like there's, I, I just, it's, it's hard because you can kind of see both sides. It's one of those things where, and this is, this is actually, this is like classic tragedy in the Greek sense. You've got these two actors. They're both sort of acting rationally in the way that out of their own values and the way they think is best. And they come into conflict and, violence you know and so if i'm if i'm part of one of these communities that's been oppressed for a long time and has really felt you know some some flavor of jackboot then they're thinking okay this is a matter of survival for me i've got to go out and do this like that's the calculus you know they have going on and i may or may not agree with it uh and and then you've got these other communities that are like okay well now my stuff is burning so i got to go out and and defend my stuff to keep it from burning and and then it's like, well, you start you you stole our labor first, and you stole our stuff first, and then the other guy's like, yeah, but I work for this, and you can't steal it, and so you just get this kind of. So so yeah, I don't know where it ends, but I do know that it's going to take some kind of leadership from somewhere, you know, somebody saying, everybody, calm down. Either that, or we just get the bad blood out, like in you know, like in The Godfather, and just have a. Everybody goes to the mattresses for a while, and then we all just kind of shake it off. I don't know. You know, I, I have thought about uh, a reboot of American Gladiator, only <laughs> yeah. this time it's actually gladiators, and we get, you know, 50 people from Team Red and 50 people from Team Blue, and we put them in an arena somewhere, and we say, all right, blunt weapons only. Uh, you've got an hour. We're going to televise it. We could, you know, we could advertise on a pay-per-view. We could put the money to good use somewhere. Uh, I, I, I don't know, because I think that, you know, there there are i think some aspects of this you know when you look through american history we have had times of turmoil before you've seen things you know kind of blow up and blow over you can talk about how young men uh need avenues where they can get their aggression out and maybe traditionally it's been the military or they've had some sort of service uh you know you go back to the code duello in the early days of uh, the american uh, republic and you know there, there's always been that sort of safety valve right if you need to go and punch somebody you disagree with in the face there's generally been a, a space for you to do that um now we don't have that now it's it's it, we're very much a a culture that is uh on the surface anyway uh all about peace and we don't even like to you know call each other names we're told that that's bullying um and it doesn't seem to be actually making us any calmer or happier it seems to actually be just sort of generating this quiet rage that uh, is stuck inside of a lot of us so I'm actually kind of on board with the idea of finding that safety valve and, uh, you know, maybe a more productive way uh, for us to get our hostilities out of the way. And then, as you say, you know, you take a punch, you give a punch, and then maybe you shake hands and you move on. I don't know if that works. Maybe that's my pipe dream. But, uh, you know, that's kind of where my head's at right now. Yeah, well, I, 
I think, I think, uh, however implausible that is, it would be preferable to what's probably coming. Um, you know, so it's just, I, like I said, I look forward and I don't see any breaks on the train. And, and unfortunately, you know, before, before this past summer, before the pandemic, before the lockdowns, it was like a culture war. It was a battle of ideologies. People were worried it was going to go hot and that folks were going to go into the street and fight over ideology, right? Over right versus left, communism versus capitalism. And, and what I see on my feed now is, is increasingly about the raw stuff of property and, you know, safe, like physical safety, um, security. I mean, this is, this is actually, you know, some of this goes back to 2008. I mean, the, the tragedy of 2008 and Obama's response was that people lost their homes. You know, the banks were made whole. People lost their property. You know, people were booted out of their houses in some, in some cases in unjust foreclosure proceedings, and they just didn't get the kind of relief that they needed. So when you see these fights over the basic, like, this is my property. No, it's not. That's my property. I'm going to burn your property. You know, people want to downplay the property damage is not violence. And in isolation, sure, you can make an argument um, about some protests and some rioting here and there. But when you've got widespread uh, destruction of property and destruction of the idea of property, of the idea that it's even your property, um, then that to me operates on like a deeper, more dangerous level uh, because it's like close to home. You know, it's like not abstract. It's very visceral. Um, when you have people literally saying, that's not yours, you know, it's stolen or it's bad or whatever. And we're going to take it like right now. Like, here's this mob. We're going to take this. Uh, you, you've kind of moved out of the realm of discussion and dialogue and conflicting ideologies and competing historical claims and into the realm of, of, of you know, old, old school tribal violence. Yeah, I hate to end it on that note, John. I was really kind of hoping for some sort of, you know, surprise positive twist there, but I, I think that you're right. Uh, and I do think that that is where we're headed. Hopefully, as you say, uh, we, we see something change we find uh, at least a break uh that we can apply at some point but you know in the absence of you know big leadership uh on the left and the right uh trying to calm things down i i think the other alternative is you know you crowdsource that uh, that attitude and it has to come from the bottom up just as uh, some of this rage and, and anger and uh, hostility towards our fellow americans have bubbled up as well and and maybe that's Maybe that's how we apply the brakes. Maybe it has to be some sort of mass movement uh, of all of the people who are not uh, out there throwing punches and starting fires and uh, shooting at each other. Maybe maybe it's up to the rest of us to try to calm things down. I hope you're right. You know, and, uh, and, if, and if somebody stands up that Web page, I will sign up and put my email in. I will retweet <laughs> and like and share. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm full of pipe dreams today, but, uh, and, and, you know, great ideas that uh, will probably never come to fruition. Hey, listen, man, I, I do appreciate uh, you joining me on the program. Let, let's touch base again, uh, you know, before our internet all goes down and we have to hunker down in our, uh, our, our individual homes and wait for the lights to come back on. All right. All right, man. All right, John Stokes. You can read him while well, you still have internet access at the prepared uh, open source defense as well. We always appreciate John coming on the program. Well, on that happy note, let's, uh, I guess, go ahead and, and kind of conclude the show here. Uh, we will get back to our armed citizen story, our good deed of the day. 
Uh, and maybe I should have had a good deed of the day just so we could end on that positive note. But, uh, yeah, sorry. Well, maybe we'll do two tomorrow and it'll be twice as sweet. Uh, in the meantime, thank you as always for being a part of the program, for uh, watching, for listening, for uh, sharing what we do here each and every day. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. That way you never miss a program. You can also subscribe to Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your favorite podcast. You will find us there as well. And we certainly do appreciate your support. Until we talk again, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, be well, be safe, be free. And we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company.